This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X dot org. Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. Chapter 20, in which Fix comes face to face with Phileas Fogg. While these events were passing at the opium house, Mr. Fogg, unconscious of the danger he was in of losing the steamer, was quietly escorting Eoda about the streets of the English quarter, making the necessary purchases for the long voyage before them. It was all very well for an Englishman like Mr. Fogg to make the tour of the world with a carpet-bag. A lady could not be expected to travel comfortably under such conditions. He acquitted his task with the characteristic serenity and invariably replied to the remonstrances of his fair companion, who was confused by his patience and generosity. It is in the interest of my journey, a part of my program. The purchases made, they returned to the hotel, where they dined at a sumptuously served table d'hôtel, after which Aoda, shaking hands with her protector after the English fashion, retired to her room for a rest. Mr. Fogg absorbed himself throughout the evening in the pursual of the Times and Illustrated London News. Had he been capable of being astonished at anything, it would have been not to see his servant return at bedtime. But, knowing that the steamer was not to leave for Yokohama until the next morning, he did not disturb himself about the matter. When Passepartout did not appear the next morning to answer his master's bell, Mr. Fogg, not betraying the least vexation, contented himself with taking his carpet-bag, calling Aoda, and sending for a palquin. It was then eight o'clock at half-past nine, it being then high tide, the Carnatic would leave the harbour. Mr. Fogg and Aoda got into the palquin, their luggage being brought after on a wheelbarrow, and half an hour later stepped upon the quay they were to embark. Mr. Fogg then learned that the Carnatic had sailed the evening before. He had expected to find not only a steamer, but his domestic, and was forced to give up both. But no sign of disappointment appeared on his face, and he merely remarked to Aoda, It is an accident, madame, nothing more. At this moment, a man who had been observing him attentively approached. It was Fix who, bowing, addressed Mr. Fogg. Were you not, like me, sir, a passenger by the Rangoon, which arrived yesterday? I was, sir, replied Mr. Fogg coldly, but I have not the honor. Pardon me. I thought I should find your servant here. Do you know where he is, sir? asked Toyota anxiously. What? responded Fix, feigning surprise. Is he not with you? No, said Aoda. He has not made his appearance since yesterday. Could he have gone on board the Carnatic without us? Without you, madame, answered the detective. 
Excuse me, did you intend to sell on the Carnatic? Yes, sir. So did I, madame, and I am excessively disappointed. The Carnatic, its repairs being completed, left Hong Kong twelve hours before the stated time, without any notice being given. And we must now wait a week for another steamer. As he said a week, Figs felt his heart leap for joy. Fogg detained at Hong Kong for a week. There would be time for the warrant to arrive, and fortune at last favored the representative of the law. His horror may be imagined when he heard Mr. Fogg say in his placid voice, But there are other vessels besides the Carnatic, it seems to me, in the harbor of Hong Kong and offered his arm to Aoda, he directed his steps towards the docks, in search of some craft about to start. Fix, stupefied, followed. It seemed as if he were attached to Mr. Fogg by an invisible thread. Chance, however, appeared really to have abandoned the man it had hitherto served so well. For three hours, Phileas Fogg wandered about the docks, with the determination, if necessary, to charter a vessel to carry him to Yokohama, but he could only find vessels which were loading or unloading, and which could not therefore set sail. Fix began to hope again, but Mr. Fogg, far from being discouraged, was continuing his search, resolved not to stop if he had to resort to Macau when he was accustomed by a sailor on one of the wharves. Is your honor looking for a boat? Have you a boat ready to sail? Yes, your honor, a pilot boat, number 43, the best in the harbor. Does she go fast? Between eight and nine knots an hour. Will you look at her? Yes. Your honor will be satisfied with her. Is it for a sea excursion? No, for a voyage. A voyage? Yes. Will you agree to take me to Yokohama? The seller leaned on the railing, opened his eyes wide, and said, Is your honor joking? No. I have missed the Carnatic, and I must get to Yokohama by the 14th at the latest, to take the boat for San Francisco. I am sorry, said the seller, but it is impossible. I offer you a hundred pounds per day and an additional reward of two hundred pounds if you reach Yokohama in time. Are you in earnest? Very much so. The pilot walked away a little distance and gazed out to sea, evidently struggling between the anxiety to gain a large sum and the fear of venturing so far. Fix was in mortal suspense. Mr. Fogg turned to Aoda and asked her, you would not be afraid, would you, madame? Not with you, Mr. Fogg, was her answer. The pilot now returned, shuffling his hat in his hands. Well, pilot, said Mr. Fogg. Well, your honor, replied he, I could not risk myself, my men, or my little boat of scarcely twenty tons or so long a voyage at this time of year. Besides, we could not reach Yokohama in time for it is sixteen hundred and sixty miles from Hong Kong. Only sixteen hundred, said Mr. Fogg. It's the same thing. Fix breathed more freely. But, added the pilot, it might be arranged another way. Fix ceased to breathe at all. How? asked Mr. Fogg. By going to Nagoski 
at the extreme south of Japan, or even to Shanghai, which is only 800 miles from here. In going to Shanghai, we should not be forced to sail wide of the Chinese coast, which would be a great advantage as the currents run northward and would aid us. Pilot, said Mr. Fogg, I must take the American steamer at Yokohama and not the Shanghai or Nagasaki. Why not, returned the pilot. The San Francisco steamer does not start for Yokohama. It puts in at Yokohama and Nagasaki, but it starts from Shanghai. You are sure of that? Perfectly. And when does the boat leave Shanghai? On the 11th, at 7 in the evening. We have, therefore, four days before us. That is 96 hours, and in that time, if we had good luck and a southwest wind and the sea was calm, we could make those 800 miles to Shanghai. And you could go in an hour, as soon as provisions could be got aboard and the sails put up. It is a bargain. Are you the master of the boat? Yes, John Bunsby, master of the Tinkerhardy. Would you like some earnest money? If it would not put your honor out. Here are two hundred pounds on account, sir, said Phileas Fogg, turning to Fix. If you would like to take advantage, thanks, sir. I was about to ask the favor. Very well. In half an hour we shall go aboard. But poor Paspartu, urged Aota, who was much disturbed by the servant's disappearance. I shall do all I can to find him, replied Phileas Fogg. While Fix, in a feverish, nervous state, repaired to the pilot boat, the others directed their course to the police station at Hong Kong. Phileas Fogg there gave Passepartout's directions and left a sum of money to be spent in the search for him. The same formalities having been gone through at the French Consulate and the Palaquane having stopped at the hotel for the luggage which had been sent back there, they returned to the wharf. It is now three o'clock, and pilot boat number 43, with its crew on board and its provisions stored away, was ready for departure. The Tankadaris was a neat little craft of twenty tons, as gracefully built as if she were a racing yacht. Her shining copper sheathing had galvished ironwork. Her deck, white as ivory, betrayed the pride taken by John Bumsby in making her presentable. Her two masts leaned a trifle backward. She carried brigantine, foresail, storm jib, and standing jib, and was well rigged for running before the wind, and she seemed capable of brisk speed, which, indeed, she had already proved by gaining several prizes in pilot boat races. The crew of the Tankadere was composed of John Bunsby, the master, and four hardy marines, who were familiar with the Chinese seas. John Bunsby himself, a man of forty-five or thereabouts, vigorous, sunburnt, with a sprightly expression of the eye, and energetic and self-reliant countenance would have inspired confidence in the most timid. Phileas Fogg and Aota went on board, where they found Fix already installed. Below deck was a square cabin, of which the walls bulged out in the form of cots. Above a circular divan 
In the center was a table provided with a swinging lamp. The accommodation was confined but neat. I am sorry to have nothing better to offer you, said Mr. Fogg to Fix, who bowed without responding. The detective had a feeling akin to humiliation in profiting by the kindness of Mr. Fogg. It was certain, thought he, the rascal as he is. He is a polite one. The cells and the English flag were hoisted at ten minutes past three. Mr. Fogg and Iota, who were seated on deck, cast a last glance on the quay in the hope of espying Prispartu. Fix was not without his fears, lest chance should direct the steps of the unfortunate servant, whom he had so badly treated in this direction, in which case an explanation the reverse of satisfactory to the detective must be ensued. But the Frenchman did not appear, and without doubt was still lying under the stupefied influence of the opium. John Bunsby, master at length, gave the order to start, and the Tankadere, taking the wind under her brigantine foresail and standing jib, bounding briskly forward over the waves. End of chapter 20. This has been a TVOL3 production.